fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Uncharted Media Podcast. This is episode 45. Uh, Josh, how are you doing tonight? I'm all right, man. It was a bit of a crazy weekend, but I am here now just uh, trucking along, man. Oh, good. Uh, so I'm excited to talk about our discussion tonight, which will be best movie openings slash opening scenes of all time. Uh, I will say right off the bat, I feel pretty confident saying this will not be nearly as long as last week's episode. Cause oh, yeah. Smorgasbord of news. So we're back well, to regular it, it, scheduled programming of news and discussion, and I'm sure some fun in between. Um, There's always fun when, when, when it's us. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, we have some breaking news that we'll cover in a little bit, uh, but just a little tease off the top. This is a far-off-in-the-pipeline type thing, but I want to partially get this down officially in the record. That way, you, Josh, and people at home can keep us accountable for it. Um, Heather and I are in the very, very early stages of a short film. Oh, yeah? Yeah, so we have the concept. Uh, we're starting to iron out the script and more or less kind of the story beats. So in the coming weeks, we want to start working on that. I just got some gear in the mail to help with that. Nothing expensive, but a nice camera stabilizer for some nice handheld stuff. Um... Yeah, be looking for that in a couple in the coming months. Uh, Heather and I have mainly me, but she's been very proactive of being supportive and wanting to make this happen with me. We're really excited to see what we're going to do with this. That's good, man. That's good on you, man. Obviously, I I mean, I wish I could help, but being as far away as I as I am, I mean, yeah. So she's like, here, can you hold the camera for this for this shot from very far away? Yeah, I mean, obviously, yeah. So, uh, not to give too much away, but given um, that it'll probably be our first short film, it'll be low budget, so don't expect anything too fancy, but it'll be a suspense thriller, because also low budget, but it's an area that I feel like I know pretty well. That's that's what I'm going to leave you guys with for the time being, and maybe over time as we progress on it, we'll give you some more details, but that's just something to kind of tease for the coming months. That's awesome, dude. I'm ha- I'm happy for you. Thanks, man. I just got a creative itch, and I'm just like, you know what? I've been putting this off long enough. Let's actually start doing something with it. Yeah, I mean, and I know. I mean, I know you have had this creative itch for a long time, and I mean, let's if we're honest, that's the reason you and I started doing this. Oh yeah. I mean, it's not it's not much, but it's something at least. And I mean, trust me, I know the feeling. I uh. I, this past weekend, I got invited and booked it Sunday after work all the way up to Austin and just kind of hung out at a show and like shook hands and just kind of got to know people that, that the promoters in the tech in Texas and like just to try to get that itch going and getting that, that scratch working. Oh, yeah. You know me. We've been doing this for a while. We do. I like doing different things just to try it out. We've been doing the podcast for probably close to a year now almost, which is just crazy to think. But um, we did five good things together. You know, I just like doing different video things. And I was just like, you know what? Let me put my money where my mouth is and try. I love movies. So let me try and make my own little one first. Yeah. And, you know, by all means, and I I think... Okay, I'm going to have to ask you to go back and see when our first episode is because... 
if we've been doing this for a year, we got to have like a memorial. Or, we're closing like, in. We're closing yeah, in. Close. I think maybe August. Or, I think mid-September, I think, was our first episode. Yeah. I'll go back and check. <laughs> I know it was yeah, video no, game uh, movies. Yeah. Uh, yes, I think so. In honor um, of it being Uncharted Media Podcast. Uh, but that's, yes. a, that's enough rambling from us. Let's get into some news. There's not a lot of it, but there's enough information, I think. Uh, first of all, dude, I'm psychic. I swear. I, I mean, I wouldn't doubt it at this point. So, I feel like it was a week or two ago, maybe three weeks ago, I said half-joking, but half serious at the same time that I fully expect J.J. Abrams to be announced to be directing a Superman movie at some point next year. I thought the Warner Brothers was officially going to make that announcement at some point next year because he just signed some major deal. Well, apparently Warner Brothers, listen, was just like, now nah, we're going to move up that timetable a year. So, preface this big time. This is just a rumor but the rumors right now is that J.J. Abrams himself will be taking over the DC Universe and will be directing not only a Superman movie, but a Green Lantern movie as well. Hmm. That's crazy. I. So, remind me real quick. Um, he did not direct Man of Steel, correct? He just was a That was Zack Snyder. Yeah, okay, that's what I thought. Well, However... He was involved- well, finish yeah. your point, and then I'll go into the story yeah, that he is. Was, he was involved with it, wasn't he? It was like a producer. So, you're, you're really making me jump to the story now. So, J.J. Um, Abrams had zero involvement with Man of Steel, but you're not far off base with J.J. Abrams and Superman. So, yeah. it was around 2002, 2003-ish, he had a story draft for a movie called Superman Flyby because uh, Warner Brothers wanted to more or less reboot Superman after uh, Quest for Peace was the worst superhero movie of all time, hands down. Um, and then uh, Superman Returns starring Nicolas Cage didn't really go anywhere, but they were still trying to reboot Superman. So they bring in J.J. Abrams. Um, I've read his story details. It was... Gonna be interesting, but I'll cut him some slack if it was just a first and a second draft. So it was far from a completed story. But J.J. Abrams actually wrote a full story pitch for Superman back in 2003. Certain key details of the story would end up being key story elements in Superman Returns as well as Man of Steel. So he was more or less the early version of Superman Returns starring Brandon Routh before that actually ended up happening. So J.J. actually does have quite an extensive history with Superman. Um, but I I do believe this, and not just because I predicted it a couple weeks ago. Oh, I do too. Um, so just to be clear here, that means Jeff Johns is stepping down? Um, I don't know. I think Jeff Johns may still be involved in a creative capacity, like he kind yeah. of has been. Like, almost any DC movie that's come out over the past 10 years, he's at least had some form of a creative consultant role in. Yeah. Um, never, like, script writing, but at least a creative consultant role. Um, I don't think that really matters a whole lot. Yes, he's one of the greatest comic book writers of our generation, but he doesn't write movies, and there's a, there's a big difference there. Um, yeah, I agree. 
he's had input on everything from Green Lantern, which is like his baby. He had input oh, on dude. um he had input on the Ryan Reynolds Green Lantern, which I still defend is not awful. It's just the CGI. Um to everything in between. He's at least had his fingers in the different things, but I don't I don't think he'd be involved with the script. Yeah, I can I can see that. I think the the big thing was I mean because yeah, you're right. Green Lantern is his baby. Like he he is in my opinion the one that put Green Lantern on the map. Um, Not just Green Lantern. As... I've read some of his other stuff. Jeff Johns' Aquaman is what made Aquaman cool. Um, but a few weeks ago, I read Jeff Johns' Superman Secret Origin, and that was a fantastic ah. story. So, oh, real quick side story since we're talking about Jeff Johns. Um, I was, when I was younger, and I got all my comic books from the library, um, I read a like a two or three volume series of Teen Titans that involving, involved like Deathstroke shooting Impulse in the knee with a shotgun, and Impulse, like, while he's trying to heal, goes to the San Francisco library and, like, reads everything. Um, but that's just the scene I remember my he- in my head, but I remember loving that comic. And a Was few it a Jeff years, Johns? A few years ago, I saw it in that particular comic in, in uh, Barnes & Noble, and I was like, who wrote this? And I was like, oh, oh, yeah, of course I loved it. It's Jeff Johns. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, and I remember sending you a text. Um, I watched Under the Red Hood again recently. Um, yes. With Brandon Vietti, directed it, apparently, who is also the showrunner for Young Justice, which explains why both are the best. Uh, but going back to oh, the J.J. Right. Abrams thing, um, I don't think J- Jeff Johns would be that tied to Superman. I think he would be very heavily involved with the Green Lantern movie. I I think the Green Lantern thing is BS with J.J. Abrams. I don't see, as much as J.J. is really good with sci-fi, of like his Star Wars movies, like his Star Trek, um, I see him more as a Superman guy than a Green Lantern movie. Um, And I actually said a while back, this is maybe two and a half years ago, I made a video about directors that I think would be good fits for a DC movie. And I said J.J. Abrams, but for a Teen Titans movie. Um, yeah. I think that would be a better fit. That being said, I'm desperate for a new Superman movie at this point. Um, and I think J.J. Abrams, J.J. is a huge fan of Superman. So I think he would bring the right, um, the right balance to the character. That being said, I, I don't think it's Henry Cavill that would come back for the role, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, but I said it, before, and I'll say it again, where there's smoke, there's fire. The source for this rumor is not that strong. Is cosmic book news. It's not even comic book news. It's cosmic book news. But to me, where there's smoke, there's fire of... DC, Warner Brothers did just sign J.J. Abrams for half a billion dollars to start making movies for them. And I would not be surprised at all if he's going to be the Kevin Feige of D.C. And... There's very few people probably more skilled than him to take over a major franchise. Yeah, ex- yeah. It, it needs to happen with DC. It, as much as we hate um, Zack Snyder. And, has, DC, and he's the reason why we're so far behind. Yeah, exactly. But DC had the right idea in the sense of having one person kind of getting a direction for these films. No, I completely agree. I just think Zack Snyder was the wrong person for it. Oh, totally. 
Well, uh, and in our breaking news of the week, JJ may have another property that he may be attached to, well, maybe attached to the sequels, or at least be overseeing if this does well. So we've talked recently how Ava DuVernay, who directed A Wrinkle in Time, and some other stuff. Let's not hold a wrinkle in time against her. Uh, she is re- directing uh, a New Gods movie with Tom King, the really great comic book writer, uh, co-writing the script with her. She took to Twitter, literally min- minutes before we recorded this, to announce that certain characters will be showing up in this movie. Um, it was kind of a given with the New Gods, if you know DC Comics at all. But it's yeah. nice to get official confirmation that we'll be getting uh, Big Barda, um... Granny Goodness and Dark Side. Well, of course, are all well, confirmed. Part of that is you you can't have Granny Goodness and, and Barda without it leading to Dark Side in some capacity. Yes, but knowing the Dark Side will officially be there is great. Yes. Oh, absolutely. And I think they're going to do because of the direction they took Thanos. I think we can easily do Dark Side now without having the comparisons. Yeah, because they're very different characters. Thanos kind of needs the gauntlet, whereas Dark Side stands on his own. Yeah. Um, I'll be very curious what they do for the hero side. Like you have on the villains, you got Granny Goodness, uh, Dark Side, Big Barda switches teams. Um, but on the hero side. I wouldn't be surprised if in the coming months we get confirmation of Orion or Mr. Miracle, who is the romantic partner of Big Barda and more or less is the reason why Big Barda turns to the good side. Um, Mr. Miracle, actually, of all things, is the one character that Tom King like knows better than anybody because Mr. Miracle was a character, a really obscure character, that he made one of the most critically acclaimed comics of last year. Which, you know, and... If you just... can do it with Mr. Miracle... Dude, yeah, what are you going to be able to do with New God? Like, I'm just excited. I think on the ba- on the back wind of both Aquaman and Shazam, DC's got some big things coming. Rich, you have finally seen Shazam. Yes, I did because I, I finally saw it last week, and it is so much better than I could have hoped. So uh, now that you've seen it. Give your general thoughts, and then where does it rank in terms of all your DC movies in the universe so far? In this specific universe, or just DC movies in the in DC general? universe, the DCEU right now? Um, Aquaman's still, I think, my favorite. I would uh, agree for me too. Um, but I think Shazam is a close second. It didn't really do anything new story wise. It, it was very much still. Just, you know, a, a coming-of-age kind of story thing. But at the same time, it was a great... There's not many superheroes you can use these days that would have a better example of family than Shazam, especially when you bring in the, the family of Shazam. shazam Yay. The movie and works honestly, to me because of Zachary know. Levi. I, oh, yeah, he's fantastic. And I think the the thing I had going for me is I didn't I didn't see or hear anything about this film, so when the family does show up, I popped so hard. Yeah, that was something I wish hadn't gotten spoiled for me. Like I didn't seek out spoilers, but it got ruined for me like three days before the movie came out, and I saw yeah. the two week early press screening for it. I was just like, that would have been a nice surprise. Yeah, 
but it was cool. And I really appreciated a lot of the things that it did. Um, I liked how they didn't make magic seem like this all powerful thing. Like yeah, it wasn't Zach, it wasn't the get out of jail free card. It still had its limitations. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So it was interesting, and I'm I'm cu- I haven't done the research yet, but I'm curious as to who the the caterpillar is because I'm, I'm off the yeah, top I of could, my head. We I can think. talk more about that off mic. I did the research already for it. All right, cool, cool, cool. But um, yeah, Shazam was great. Um, this next topic I don't think is so great, and I don't want to say it, but. I knew it. So, the trailer yeah. for Zombieland Double Tap finally dropped a week after Comic-Con. And, Josh, what are your thoughts on Zombieland 2's trailer? Um, so, first of all, I think they did exactly what I, I thought they were going to do. And I think I said it la- the, the week of Comic-Con is they tried to be like, we feel like we're going to be buried under all these uh, all this other news, so we're going to drop the week after. Um, I don't think that was a good move. But also, it's a decent trailer. It's not the best. Unfor- I, I like, there's a couple th- things I do enjoy about the trailer, but I agree with you in that this is too late. And... This is uh, uh, there's no direction to the story that I can tell of. Yeah, uh, that I think that's I think you hit the nail on the head there. There's no direction for this. Of I think if this wasn't a complete if this was a completely original movie, not a sequel or anything, I think I'd like the trailer just fine. But this is a ten year wait on Zombieland. Yes, the first one didn't do gangbusters at the theater, but it's amassed a pretty decent cult following. I actually watched the first Zombieland at work recently uh, with the kids. And I was like, this is a really good movie. It's better than I even remember. And I like the first one. It's just simple. And it's just, okay, let's get to this theme park. That's the safe zone. That's the story. And then everything else is just a really messed up and dysfunctional family unit. This one, mm-hmm. I don't really, can't. I can't really get a sense of what the story is. It just yeah. seems, it seems like a story about nothing. And no one has aged a day in this movie, except for Abigail Breslin. Everyone else looks exactly the same as the first one, which I think is hysterical. Oh, absolutely. And I think they play on that at the end of the trailer, too. And I I will admit I laughed a little bit at the at the little um, the hey, these all these guys look really similar kind of kind of. Yes, that's the one part of the trailer that I wish they focused more on because that was genuinely funny of. Oh, I yeah. can't help but have the sneaking suspicion that Luke Wilson is playing. Oh, uh, is playing Woody Harrelson's brother. I wouldn't be surprised, honestly. Uh, but we'll see. Um, the only story I can kind of see, besides it, getting uh, Abigail Breslin back, I think that's the story. <sighs> that's. I think that's... she runs off, and it's going to be. Hey, we need to find her. Because, yeah, that's the only, you know, that's our family. And that's, you know, the sister thing. Like, that's my last remnant of the old world kind of thing. But, I mean. Because all the Twinkies are definitely gone. Yeah, now they're definitely gone. And I love how there's a Twinkie on the front of the car. Mm Mm-hmm. 
I laughed at that. See, that that's that's why I can't say that this is a terrible trailer because there were little tiny snippets that I re- I did enjoy. Yeah, and it, that's partly because Woody Harrelson is is just the best. Oh yeah, he he could do that role in his sleep. He was oh, the best he, part about the first one. And also, I will say, the first Zombieland is the only movie that I've ever liked Jesse Eisenberg in, like ever. Yeah, he played because that he plays that role really well. So, I mean, we'll see. I, uh, I would. We're gonna get a second trailer, I would hope, but like this movie comes out in a couple months, so it's yeah, like it. Uh, it was an okay trailer, but not nearly as good as it needed to be. Yeah, especially for something that's coming out so late. So, uh, something we're not gonna get a trailer for for quite a while, but it is still in production. Is Venom Two? Because the first one blew everyone's expectations away and made a lot of money, making like $800 million. So uh, there's some names being floated around for who's directing the second one. And they are some very interesting names. Um, One of them is the director of the first Apes movie, Rise of the Planet of the Apes. I think it's Rupert Everett. Um, And then another name being floated around is the guy that directed Kubo and the Two Strings and Bumblebee, Travis Knight. And then the most interesting name out of the three, keep in mind, this is the name to direct the movie, Andy Serkis. Okay. I can see that. Which my immediate thought is, okay, he's, yes, he's directing it, but that probably means he's going to star in it too. Uh, Andy Serkis, for the few of you who don't know, is the single greatest motion capture actor of all time. He was Gollum in Lord of the Rings. He was Caesar in the Planet of the Apes movies. But he's got some good live-action stuff, too. Uh, he was Claw in Black Panther and Age of Ultron, and his most criminally underrated performance in 13 Going on 30. Yeah. He's legitimately become one of the biggest names in Hollywood that is nev- almost never seen on screen. Yes. But he actually has some directing credits already. Um, so he mo- recently did Mowgli, a Jungle Book movie for Netflix, However, his directing prowess actually goes further back than this. Um, I don't know if you know this, Josh, but he was actually a second unit director on Lord of the Rings. Peter Jackson trusted him enough to let him direct some of the um, second unit stuff on the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I can see that. I can totally see that because I know he was involved like that on The Hobbit. Yeah, so I'm sure he was responsible for motion capture, but he also he was in charge of certain shots and scenes for Lord of the Rings, which I think is super cool. Um, I'll be honest, of all three of those names, I'd probably aim more for the Travis Knight of the three, just because Bumblebee was really, really good and revived the franchise, yeah. and I've heard amazing things about Kubo and the Two Strings. I just have not seen it yet. Oh, dude, it's fantastic. Yeah, everyone keeps saying that. I just haven't been able to get my hands on it. I've heard good things about it. Um, yeah. I'll be honest, though, of all, actually, now that I think about it, Andy Serkis may be the weakest of those three names, and it's not a um, knock against him. He just, to me, has the least amount of experience directing because I love the first Apes movie. So I would like to see that director in more stuff. And if he could do Venom mm-hmm. too, that'd be fine with me. Um, but like I said, Travis I and just, I think would be the best option. So of those three options, who would you go with, Josh? Yeah, I'd go with that Apes one. Oh, what is his name? Everett? Yeah, I think Rupert Everett, maybe. Yeah, I'd go with him. A part of that is, I just, 
Honestly, I don't care <laughs> about Venom 2 because we're going to go straight Woody to Carnage. Harrelson as Carnage? I, I don't care. With his weird hairpiece? We, we don't need Carnage yet. It's just, I don't know, whatever. I'm just done. I'm so sad. You want to transition to Halloween news? Please. I'm always okay with Halloween news. Well, oh, absolutely. Let's also preface that by saying Halloween rumors, because this is just a rumor at this point. So we know that uh, the next two Halloween movies are filming back to back, and the next one is going to be called Halloween Kills, coming October of next year. Now, this is just a rumor, but it is one that I kind of hope is true. Um, so in the original Halloween from 1978, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's character, Laurie Strode, is babysitting two kids. Well, she's babysitting a kid, and then by proxy, one of the babysitters dumps another kid on her. So she's watching two kids, um, Tommy Doyle and Lindsay Wallace. There is now rumors that the character of Tommy Doyle could be returning for Halloween Kills. And yes, 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 please. Yeah, I mean... Let's go. I, I, I don't know where we're going with this story, and I'm just excited to find out. I'm, I'm whatever you guys I, – I think Halloween brought back the faith for me, and I'm just down for whatever they throw at us at this point. I would like to see Tommy Doyle return because since 2 through all the rest of the sequels has been wiped from canon, the list of people that have survived Michael Myers – is now incredibly small. Of you have uh, Lori, Sheriff Brackett from the first one, who um, yeah. in expanded lore he retired and moved to Florida, but you don't find that out until Halloween Four, so that's no longer canon. So he could show up. I think that would be cool. But Tommy Doyle is one that actually logically makes sense. He'd probably be forty years later. He'd probably be, mm, late forties because he's like seven or eight in the first one. Um, now, this is also another rumor, and I, I think this has less credibility, but it's still something worth noting. So, Tommy Doyle, the character, has actually already showed up in a Halloween sequel. He was in Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers, played by then-unknown Paul Stephen Rudd in his first film <laughs> role, and he was awful in it. There's rumors <laughs> that he was approached to come back uh, as Tommy Doyle, even though that makes no sense, um, but he couldn't do it because he's busy filming the new Ghostbusters movie. That's kind of sad, but also kind of awesome. Oh, he was so bad in Halloween 6. That being said, I would have popped if he came back. Um, just of like, a yes, we wiped away all the sequels and everything else. But it would be cool of including some form of references to the sequels. Like I said, if you bring back Bracket um, or... The one that I'm still kind of hanging my hat on is, do you remember in the first movie, uh, the girls are teasing Lori because she's got a crush on Ben Tramer? Yeah. So Ben Tramer dies a comedically horrible death in the second one when he gets run over by a car and then blown up because he looks like Michael Myers. Yep. But now that the second one does not exist anymore, I say Ben Tramer is the father of her kids. Okay. And he shows up just as a nice okay. reference to the fans of the original movies. Okay. Yeah, no, I'd be down for that. Either that or Jimmy the Orderly from Halloween 2 when she's in the hospital. 
Okay. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll, I think all of this I'm down. I'm really down for. Um, like I said, I, I, I trust them completely at this point. Yeah, I just kind of want, I think it'd be really cool to bring back Tommy Doyle or other characters um, from the expanded lore. I would like Danny Hill Harris to come back at some point who played little Jamie, but I think it'd be really complicated to try and bring her back. But it's been done. She was in the Rob Zombie ones. So we'll see. I would I would like to see this happen. I don't know if it will, but I would like to see it happen. Yeah, now, it's a potential. That's the power of rumors. Yeah. So I went from really excited to a lot less excited really quick for our next story. Um, James Wan, one of the best names in horror out there nowadays. He's been attached to everything. He most recently directed Aquaman. He's going to be busy with Aquaman 2 and a Trench spinoff movie. But we're getting a I Still Know What You Did Last Summer series, or I Know What You Did Last Summer, because I Still Know is the sequel. Uh, we're getting an I Know What You Did Last Summer um, like reboot, reimagining, uh, as a series on Amazon. And so I initially read that James Wan will be directing the pilot. Awesome. I read it wrong. James Wan is producing the pilot. Oh. Yeah, that's not as interesting. Yeah, it's not as noteworthy because any of the Conjuring movies, he's quote-unquote a producer on. But let's be honest, not all the Conjuring Universe movies are good. You know my thoughts on The Nun from last year. Yeah. He was a quote-unquote producer on that. Just because someone's a producer on something doesn't guarantee its quality that being said i would like to see a revitalization of i know what you did last summer both those movies are cheesy 90s fun they're neither of them are particularly great but i think they could go for an update no yeah Uh, did you ever see the um scream series on mtv no i tried watching the pilot and it wasn't bad i just couldn't devote the time to it at the time yeah, so um, it it was very good. You got to watch it all the way through. But um, I'd imagine they'd give it that kind of treatment. Of uh, it, it's still I know what you did last summer, but the characters are different, and the story is slightly different as well. Hmm. Yeah, I think that would be a really good um, update to it. Of just kind of keep it somewhat similar with the. I jokingly call him, half-jokingly, but it's totally true. He's the Gordon's Fisherman. Yeah. With a hook hand. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it could use for an update. I w- there was rumors of that and Final Destination getting reboot movies. Well, I guess they're not getting movies now, but maybe Final Destination will. I mean, Final Destination... I... Hmm. Final Destination will go down in an infamy as the series that terrified a generation. Not, oh, yeah. not at all because they're scary, not scary movies. but made them paranoid. Yeah, absolutely. Cause now all of us, like I can, I know I can, I can't even count the amount of people I've met that will not drive behind a, an 18 wheeler with wood on it. Yep. So, um, so in our last story of the day, it is very peculiar. I'll say that. Um, Disney Plus has announced their day one lineup for when the app launches. And I wish I could get more excited about this, honestly. I will still get it day one for two reasons, and we'll get into that in a little bit. 
Um, but I'll give a quick rundown of all the things that is there and is not there. So this, these are the things that will be there. So in regards to just straight-up Disney movies, we're going to get 101 Dalmatians. It doesn't clarify if it's the live-action or the animated one. Um, 101 Dalmatians, a goofy movie, an extremely goofy movie. Bambi, Born in China, Fantasia, Free Solo, whatever that is. Frozen, Fun and Fancy Free, whatever that is. Hercules, High School Musical 1, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Lilo and Stitch, live-action remake of Lady and the Tramp, Mary Poppins, Mickey, Donald, Goofy, The Three Musketeers, Mickey's Once Upon a Christmas, Moana, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean 1, Remember the Titans, Sleeping Beauty, Snow White and the Seven Doors, Steamboat Willie, which isn't really a movie, it's an animated short, but semantics, Little Mermaid, uh, the original Parent Trap, not the remake, Prince and the Pauper, Princess Diaries, Rocketeer, Sorcerer's Apprentice, Sword in the Stone, Three Caballeros, and Tron. That's it for straight-up Disney movies. Um, seems like we're going to have all. almost Holy all crap. the Pixar movies. Um, just, almost, I, just looking at the list, I think it's just about all the Pixar ones, day one. Star Wars, we will have one through seven, Rogue One, and the Mandalorian TV series. Uh, we will not have Last Jedi... We won't have Solo. Those, we're going to have to wait till their deal runs up on Netflix. That's fascinating. Um, Marvel will only have four movies at launch. We will have Captain really? Marvel, Iron Man, Iron Man 3, and Thor The Dark World, with Avengers Endgame being available December 1st. And everything, those are some random ones. Yeah, it's uh, ones that aren't on Netflix, and I'm sure those deals, once they expire, like Black Panther, Ant-Man and the Wasp, and Thor Ragnarok, they'll be switched over. Eventually, yeah. uh, Falcon Winter Soldier will get eventually. Wanda, WandaVision, Loki, and Hawkeye, and What If will get eventually. Uh, and then last but not least, we have TV shows. Uh, we have a lot of these I've never even heard of, but Amazing Planet, Brain Game, Dog Whisperer with Caesar Milan, sure, Dr. K's Exotic Animals, Dr. Oakley, You Can Vet, sure, Drain the Ocean, uh, all the episodes of DuckTales, the original and the remake. Earth Love, Encore, Goof Troop, Great Migrations, High School Musical, The Musical, The Series, Howie Mandel's Animals Doing Things, which, Howie Mandel does animals? Okay. thought he was a germaphobe, but whatever. Kim Possible, Malcolm in the Middle, Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy Animated Series, Marvel's Hero Project, Marvel's Ultimate Spider-Man Animated. Rejoice, my friend! Mickey and Roadster Racers, Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, um... Where's uh, House Mouse? That'd be great. Mickey Mouse Shorts, yeah. One Strange Rock, Raven's Home, Rocky Mountain Animal Rescue, Spark Shorts, That's So Raven, The Incredible Dr. Pole, The Simpsons, Unlikely Animal Friends, and Wicked Tuna. Whew. Um, that may seem like a lot, but it's really not for day one. No, it's really not. There's a lot missing. Jo- what, Josh, to you, what are some of the biggest omissions from this for a day one launch? Uh, most of the Marvel series. Well, I can, I'll I mean, chalk that up to there's a lot of Marvel movies on Netflix, and that's probably a pre, pre-existing contract. Yeah, but like you'd think like day one you'd want to try to – because all of those are really the really random ones. And um, only one of them I'll watch. And I'll watch the first Iron Man. That's about it. Star Wars, why not? I mean, it, it's Disney XD. Why not? Why is Rebels not on there? Why is Clone Wars not on there? 
Yeah. Why isn't Rebels recording? Rebels is done. Yeah, Rebels especially should be on there. That's most re- that, that's way more recent. I know they have like recent. a Disney XD app, but wouldn't you just absorb the app into it? I would think or that that's Or is that an eventual thing? I heard someone suggest that they have it um, at, they have this kind of limited stuff, and then when they introduce more stuff, they'll bring the price up, and it'll be more of a justified price raise as, raise as opposed to, hey, we're just going to kind of raise the price on you. Uh, I guess, but... That being said, this is still kind of a shallow lineup for day one. This is not putting your best foot forward. No, I I agree. There's a lot... I feel like there is a lot of stuff missing. Where's the Lion King? Where's Mulan? Where's Aladdin? Beauty and the Beast. Either Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. Uh, But, yeah, where's... I will get it day one for The Mandalorian, which I've been super excited about. It's a live-action Disney show, a live-action Star Wars show, but it's more geared for adults, which is going to be great. And finally, Ultimate Spider-Man has one uniform home. Oh, my gosh. I don't have to watch season three on Voodoo and season four on PlayStation View. Yeah, all one... One home, thank goodness. Yeah, those two alone will sell me. Also, the fact that they're going to have offline downloads so I can finally download Star Wars and watch it wherever I go. Thank you for that. Um, Yeah. And just the fact that these will be in good quality. I think all they they said all these will be 4K upscales. Oh, nice. So, yeah, they're just like trying to make sure it's high quality. Well, what would what will be nice will be a, us being able to just sit down and watch one through seven all the way, and not have to pop in another DVD or, you know what I mean? Because like uh, it, that they've always been in all different places. Mm-hmm. Now, this is just me. It'll never happen. But how great would it be if in the coming years, when you watch Star Wars on Disney Plus? They give you an option of which version would you like to watch it in? Would you like to watch original, special edition, or Blu-ray? Jeez. That'll never happen. Oh, no, it'll never happen. But I can dream, Harold. (laughs) Oh, man. I'm stealing your bit. Um, But, yeah, this is not their best foot forward. In terms of, also, this is a very weak, um, foot forward in terms of original content. You have The Mandalorian, The Lady and the Tramp, live quote-unquote live-action remake, um, and High School Musical, The Musical, The Series, I, in terms of day one. That's not your best lineup in terms of original stuff. Yeah, no, I agree. But... We'll give it a chance. Like like we're saying, this is just day one. Disney will get all their stuff eventually. This is just I mean, day one. That's what we're saying. But, you know, who knows? I mean, it is Disney, one of the most powerful companies on the face of the planet, but still. It'll be there eventually. The Netflix wasn't what it is overnight. It had to take out Blockbuster first. Uh, that's fair enough. Well, that'll about do it for news. Before we transition to discussion, Josh, you got a top. Uh, you got a sponsor for us this week. Um, not really, man. I'm. You slacking you off? It's two weeks in a row, man. 
I know. Let's go uh, sp- uh, Stripes. Stripes is a gas station like company down here, and I always they they've been keeping me afloat lately. Just they, they've got a taco joint in the gas station, and they're just the best tacos. Alrighty. Well, having a taco can just start your day off right. You know what also is a good start? Having a good solid opening to your movie. That was a stretch, but we're going to go with it. Oh, um, absolutely. So, in the great pantheon of great opening films, openings to films, this whole discussion topic was inspired by the recent release of Lion King, which to me, the original Lion King, not so much the remake, uh, the original Lion King has one of the greatest opening shots and opening sequences in history. I'll agree. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, it's one of the most iconic, if anything. Oh, yeah. I think it's funny. Of I saw leading up to the remake of people posting on Facebook, and it's completely true, of I will know within the first one second of Lion King if I'm going to be down with this or not, of if that... Opening note ain't right. I'm out. Because yeah. that opening is so iconic of the song of with Circle of Life, but just how it's sung is just pitch perfect. And I will say the remake at least starts the song off right. It the opening of the movie doesn't quite hit the same power chords of the original, but uh, I beat that dead horse already. Yeah, but I mean, because so that's the thing I think. For the for these lists that uh, that you and I, these movies you and I are about to go talk about here, um, taco. some of mm, tacos, but some of them are like yeah they're fantastic, um, they're fantastic openings, but others like are just iconic. Like for example, the let's go with Lion King. You know, like that opening is so iconic. I can't tell you how many times I've seen somebody pick up a dog or a cat and do the circle of life pose. Or, and I'm going to call him out right now, my dad. Yeah. Like it's when I was just dedicated the, at church, lifted me up like Simba. <laughs> it's just the and thing And I'm pretty to sure do. that's just a tradition dads do from here on out of just, every dad does the Simba thing at least once. Oh, Absolutely. But that's what, like, I think a good opening of your of a film needs to set the tone. If it's not going to be iconic, then it needs to set the tone. Okay, setting the tone. What, what? When you say setting the tone, what are some like immediately off the bat movies that really stick out in your brain of openings that set the tone for the rest of the movie? Um, <laughs> don't laugh at me. Bye bye, bye bye, bye bye, man. Does it? Uh, saving. Saving Private Ryan definitely does it. Uh, let's talk about Saving Private Ryan real quick because I think if th- like this was the first film I ever saw that like when it ended, I just kind of sat there and was like, w- "Wow, like I don't know how to feel now that this experience is over," especially because of the opening scene. Oh, is that when they're on the shores? Yeah, because so the opening scene starts with, you know, a very short um, little section of an old man looking through a military, um, what are they called, cemetery. And we kind of zoom in onto his eyes, and then all of a sudden it's we're getting ready to storm that beach on D-Day. 
And it is the most, still to this day for me, the most intense, I want to say 10, 15 minutes of cinema that I think nothing will compare to it. Yeah, that's a very powerful and just in-your-face opening for a movie. And also, I've seen Saving Private Ryan once in college. Uh, One of my buddies had to watch it. And so we're like, I've never seen it. We'll watch it with you. And I completely forget a lot of times how star-studded that cast is for Saving Private Ryan. Oh, yeah. I mean, geez. And that was the thing I think that that kind of, for me, set the tone was – Outside of the gratuitous violence and and just physical physical destruction of the, like legitimately, I think if I remember right, there's a guy who's crawl like walking around with his innards like in his arms, like screaming for his mom. Like yep, basically. how? Yeah. How 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 more powerful of a visual can you get? But like everybody who's very star star studded is very well integrated with the people that <laughs> with the the little you know extras <laughs> like there's no I don't think there's moments really where and honestly I don't think there's a lot of like quote unquote extras either as far as people that we have to interact with um, almost anybody that is anybody in that movie is pretty star studded yeah mm-hmm so you said uh, setting the table with the tone to me, I have two Marvel movies, but I'll talk about the first one here. Uh, There's one Marvel movie to me that has, of any of the other Marvel movies in the MCU, one stands head and shoulders above in terms of setting the tone for what the movie will be like, and it just has the best opening. The first Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah! When Quill steals the Power Stone. Because as soon as he puts those headphones on and the big text that says Guardians of the Galaxy in that big wide shot. I was like, what is this? This yes. is not what I was expecting at all. Because it's the scene in question is very reminiscent of another movie that I'll go into right after this. Um, that it's... After a while in the MCU, we kind of get used to how things go of heroes and comedy. Right off the bat, this was something completely different of a fun tone great music, a moronic lead character who's still kind of one of the dumber characters in the MCU with Star-Lord. Yeah. Who's kind of been a, done a disservice lately. His past few movies, he's been a straight-up moron. Yeah, and that has been, that's been my, my issue with Star-Lord in both Infinity War and Endgame was he turned into kind of a dick. Yeah. Um, but the opening of Guardians was such a good and fun opening that to me it's one of the best in the MCU. And that's because it's more or less ripping off another one of the greatest opening scenes of all time. Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> I actually, I don't think I've seen Raiders in, oh my goodness, so long. Really? It is, it has been a hot, I think I've seen it all the way through once. See, whenever I catch it, I don't blame you for that. Whenever I catch Indiana Jones, it's like on TV and it's always like halfway done. So I very rarely ever see the original, like the yes. first, the opening. But the opening is so good. It's just such a classic of Indy um, scouring through the temple, Doc Ock being skewered by the traps. And again, we'll bring it, I'll bring it up again. 
but it's so iconic. I mean, how many how many cartoon TV shows have ripped off the the Boulder thing? Yeah, I was just about to say the Boulder's been everywhere. Exactly. And I don't I don't, think none of the other Indiana Jones movies really topped it in terms of opening of. Ra- uh, I was debate between Raiders and Last Crusade of which one I like better, but in terms of just sheer great opening scene, you gotta give it to Indiana Jones. Now, we'll segue to another one that's just iconic, uh, and also starring Harrison Ford. Where are we going, Josh? Uh, oh, oh, yeah, oh, 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 yeah. There I'm you sorry. go. I, I was like. <laughs> What other movie with Harrison Ford starts? Fantastic. Patriot and that's Games. Star Wars A New Hope. Yeah. Yeah, boy. Yeah, boy. <laughs> Is literally A New Hope defined how to start your movie off on a good on a good foot. Mm-hmm. What? Okay. Let's try and do some analysis here. Why do we think it's so iconic besides the fact that Star Wars, you can't just give the Sunday school answer of Jesus, but no, it, it of like you can't just say Star Wars. Yes, between the crawl, which no other movie did before that, um, not like that. No, oh, no, George Lucas blatantly ripped it off some old black and white adventure stories. Really? Okay, I didn't know that. Fun fact. Huh. Yeah, a lot of Star Wars is actually ripped off of old B movies. Well, that George yeah, Lucas I mean, I know. Yeah, I knew it, it ripped off a good chunk of Flash Gordon, but... Um, yeah, the text, too, actually. Uh-huh, I didn't know that. Interesting. Anyway, um, if anything, then just the the, the score. The score yes. is almost, like, in your face, but not in a bad way, either. You, it's very you much know it's like... Star Wars. I'm still, when watching the new ones, I'm still not quite used to not hearing the 20th Century Fox fanfare before... Star Wars movies, just because I kind of associate that as part of the score. Yeah, exactly. But like the the like it's so that's to me the first time I saw A New Hope, I hadn't seen anything of any Star Wars before that. I can't even remember the first time I watched A New Hope. It's just been in my blood since birth. (laughs) Probably, but I just I remember that being a note that was very like, oh, wow, okay, I'm in for something. All right. Yeah, and then it's the great shot of the small ship and then the big ships. You immediately get the context clues of what's happening, of the rebels fleeing from the Empire. Pop quiz. Who has the first line of dialogue in A New Hope? Is it C-3PO? It is C-3PO. Oh, I'm good. They've shut down the main reactor. Yes. Okay, cool. Huh. Uh, But yeah, Star Wars, just... None of them have really been able to recapture that opening magic of A New Hope, but it's the first one. It's the most iconic. I think we've got a good balance of old and new so far, but what else... What other ones you got? Because I got plenty left on my list. Oh, yeah. Um, let's, uh, let's, let's take it in the horror direction for a little bit. Yeah. Um, with Saw, Saw opens up with that, that bear trap. Which would come back to haunt us several sequels later when it gets super convoluted, but. Yes, I agree. But 
it's still, again, in a lot of ways, when Saw starts off that way, to my specifically to my knowledge, nothing like that had ever been done. Uh, what do you mean? As far as I, I don't think movies like trap, like there will hadn't been really been like trap um, based movies before that. I, I can't remember if collect the collector came before or after, but it's still, no collector it was, was definitely after. Yeah. It, it, it was something brand new and you as the viewer, it, it walks walk in and are just confused but also intrigued at the same time yeah uh i still think the first saw is by far the strongest and i think it is because it sets the tone right off the bat of these are the stakes this is a really dangerous messed up game to be playing but you don't have a choice and you're going to be playing it anyway yeah see when you said let's go horror that is not where i thought you were going to be going with saw well, yeah, obviously. I mean, you can easily talk about uh, Halloween. There you go. <laughs> I mean, I wanted to say Saw That's the greatest horror opening of all time. I don't even oh, care. Yeah. I know there's it's another Michael's... one on both of our lists later, but Halloween has the greatest opening ever for a horror movie because it's so well done from a technical standpoint and from a suspense standpoint. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it, it's, it, it, it harkens back to what we've kind of, the theme we've kind of been saying here is great opening scenes are what set the tone for your movie. If you have a bad opening opening scene, it's going to, you can have a bad one and then, you know, redeem yourself late later, but you're going to lose some people right off the bat. Mm -hmm. See for me, Halloween works and why it's my favorite opening for a horror movie ever is because it's, I still to this day am blown away by how they did it. So the scene is just a long take. It's actually two takes that are edited together really, really well. Um, it's just one long continuous take that's like four or five minutes long, which is already amazing enough as is because normally there's an edit every like five to ten seconds in most movies. This is one continuous edit. Again, it's technically two shots because I know the scene by heart. Um, it's technically two shots over five minutes from the killer Michael Myers perspective when he was a little kid, um, which fun fact that I don't even know if Josh knows, but the hand that you see stabbing the sister at the beginning is actually scriptwriter Deborah Hill's hand. It's a woman's hand at the beginning of the movie. Oh, nice. Uh, so yeah, it's five minutes, almost completely uninterrupted shot. And so uh, more fun facts with Nathan slash movie history with Nathan. Um, this movie came out in 1978, and so the technology still really quite wasn't there for the most part when it came to um, off-tripod camera work of, like, having a steady cam, quote-unquote, steady cam. It was act the steady cam itself was even invented a year before for some other low-budget indie movie by the name of Rocky. Yay! When Rocky was going up the steps, that was one of the first times they used Steadicam. And so, yeah. even though Halloween had a very low budget, John Carpenter insisted on making sure that the movie looked good and had the best technology available. So they had the Steadicam, which wasn't even a year old at the time, to do this long shot, which is still one of the most technically impressive shots in all of horror. And it's just amazing, and there's a great reveal at the end that the killer is 
just nine-year-old Michael Myers setting up the tone for the rest of the movie to be the greatest horror movie of all time. Yeah, absolutely. And then you take one, a, a, a horror film, that takes the opening and f- of a traditional uh, slasher film and flips it on its head. Now, I know exactly which one you're talking about, but let the audience at home know why it's the movie that it is. Well, because Scream starts out with just a phone call. Not just a phone call. It is a phone call with a really well-known actress, Drew Barrymore, at the time. (laughs) So you're under the assumption that she's going to be fine because it's Drew Barrymore. You wouldn't just kill off a really big-name actress in the opening scene of your movie, but that's where Scream messes with you because, sure enough, she's gone in the first five minutes. She gets Janet Leigh from Psychoed. She really does. And I think, it, it again, it set the tone of nothing that you are used to in a slasher film is what is about to happen. Yes, everything is fair game. Everything will be addressed. Uh, Every horror movie trope gets addressed in Scream in a really fun and casual way via Randy, who is like the horror movie aficionado. And every like cliche and trope that you know about horror movies gets addressed, and it starts right off the bat when he calls. She's like, what's your favorite scary movie? And she just answers like the dumb blonde always does in horror movies. And sure enough, it leads to her demise because she doesn't listen to the question fully. Yeah. And the rest of the Scream sequels were a bit hit or miss. But that opening scene really defined what you could expect from the franchise as a whole. Absolutely. It it told the audience, hey, like we're going to work our butts off to be completely different from all these other slashers. And for the most part, it succeeds. So we're going to go in a completely different direction because I'm going to be that snobby film snob for a second and go... Snob, snob. How dare you snob? We'd be remiss if we didn't mention Citizen Kane's opening scene. Fair enough. And Josh is just going, which one's Citizen Kane? Uh, yeah, I've never seen that film. It's a quote unquote the best movie ever made. I've seen it in, for its time. It is very well made. So it's essentially um, the story of Orson Welles' character runs a newspaper and he's like the most powerful man in the world. The movie opens with him on his deathbed uh, holding a snow globe and he says the famous Rosebud and his snow globe falls to the floor and whatever else. And so that's the whole story is figuring out what Rosebud means and what, like, uh, where his inheritance is going is tied to Rosebud. So there's this whole big mystery and investigation of what Rosebud means. Uh, there's this great shot of him walking down a hallway of mirrors, and it's just him, so it kind of reflects his loneliness and isolation. It's It's one of the most famous movies of all time. Doesn't really get as much attention now by casual movie fans, but if for the diehard film fans, you need to see it at least once, and it's got one of the best opening scenes ever, setting up a very intriguing story and mystery of a man with so much power, but in the end, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Now, 
Because we'll completely shift gears from super serious. Josh, do you have any guilty pleasure ones? Um, I really enjoy the opening of Mad Max Fury Road. I don't know if that's a guilty pleasure. That's a really well-made movie. Ah, uh, fair enough. Um, if you want to go, I you can talk about the um, opening to Mad Max. I'm not limiting you because it's not a guilty no, it's pleasure. Fine. No, I get it. It's fine. You you just want to crap all over my choices. It's fine. Um, <laughs> I like Fury Road. <laughs> um, Monty Python's Holy Grail. With the coconuts? With the coconuts. You know that was because they ran out of money, right? Oh, I know. Ex- oh, totally. But it's also like Monty Python were comedic geniuses. And we all know it's because they did. it's a very low-budget film and they ran out of money. But... They took they took it and looked took that opportunity, saw like hey we have a uh, we have this chance for a joke, and then they literally make the best joke of clapping two coconuts together, and then just build the film on it, and now, and even like you have a whole generation of people that legitimately if you walked behind somebody and just banged two cups together, you know exactly what they're doing. <laughs> Do you think that coconuts is your favorite joke from Monty Python? No. What, My what favorite. You, what's the one or two jokes from Holy Grail that you always laugh at the best, the hardest? What are your two um, favorite jokes? Um, the the bridge scene. Oh, the, what is your quest? What is your you know what is your name? What is your quest? What's your favorite color? Um, that that whole scene always gets me. And then also when they meet the wizard for the first time. And he's like making explosions for no reason. And uh, apparently he had this really long convoluted name to say Tim and he, and he forgot it. and just went with Tim and it's the funniest thing in the world to me. The two that I always go with are the, um, when the assistant gets shot with the arrow message for you, sir. (laughs) Yes. It's like, I will go on and carry your legacy. Oh, I I think I'll be fine. I'll think I'll pull through. No, (laughs) I'll go on without you. No, really, I'm fine. (laughs) And then the other one that I always laugh my head off just because it proves to people that editing itself can be funny. You don't actually have to have something verbally said for it to be funny. And it's where the two guards are guarding the castle and there's that one random dude far off in the distance running towards the castle. And they just (laughs) cut back to the guards just standing there. <laughs> Guy runs yeah. a little bit closer. Cut back to the guards. Nothing. And then they cut back to the shot. The guy's actually further away than he was before. Cut back to the guards. And then a quick cut. It's literally the same shot, but a quick cut. And the guy just stabs one of the guards. And the other guard just, hey. <laughs> it's the best. He I just think that pops one out of and... nowhere. Oh, dude. I think that one and um, every time they have to stop the one guy from singing because they're like, no, 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 we don't do that here. <laughs> and um, when they save Ro- Sir Robin from the from the, <laughs> the nunnery or whatever it's mm. whatever it is, <laughs> uh, I, I could honestly talk about Holy Grail for I could talk about Monty Python at for some hours. point. At some point, we'll do our favorite comedies. Oh, absolutely. Have you, real quick, have you ever seen the, the TV show? Not really. I've seen some parts. I've seen Nobody Suspects the Spanish Inquisition. Yes, <laughs> that's good. Uh, the Ministry of Silly Walks, um, The Dead Parrot Shop. 
Uh, <laughs> it's all, there's all kinds of good stuff on there. Anyway, uh, what yeah, else do you, you got? got? Any guilty pleasures besides Monty Python? Uh, I'm trying to think, man. I because uh, I was talk- telling you off mic because the- I got a weird one and I don't want to sound as stupid. Okay, now I'm super curious. So I have one that I've, I genuinely believe that this movie is vastly underrated and I wish we got a sequel for it because I love it. And the opening scene embodies the spirit of the original TV show to a T and introduces to us to our characters and makes us care about them and just shows the great chemistry that we're going to be in store for for the A-Team movie. Oh, yes. Of Hannibal breaking out. Um, shooting B.A. in the shoulder. And B.A. is just like, you shot me in my car. You got blood in my van. And they go to rescue uh, Face. They finally do. And then they meet Murdoch, who is... Murdoch is one of the greatest casting choices ever. We're Charlotte Copley as Murdoch. Of just a whole opening rescue scene. Um, seeing Murdoch hanging on the helicopter... Of you spin me right round. And then when they take off in a helicopter and he drops the radiator on B.A.'s van, he's like, you broke my van. I'm going to kill you, fool. You can't park there. That's a handicap zone. (laughs) And then they Um, have that, like, great aerial battle where they do the loop. And even the bad guys are like, oh, do you see that loop thing that he did? Or... (laughs) Even to this day, I will, I've seen the movie dozens of times. I'll still cheer my uh, seat when uh, Hannibal's like, there's always a plan, kid. And he talks to the other helicopter over the intercom. He's just like, just so you know, you're hunting a U.S. helicopter over U.S. airspace. And then you see the big two um, fighter jets coming to for backup. And he's just like, Alpha, Mike, Foxtrot adios and then the other helicopter blows and we're like okay now we're in for a fun movie oh absolutely i love Um, the first a team i saw that in theaters with my mom and we both walked out with a big old grin on our face going that was a lot of fun and i wish we did another one but we won't no we won't but it was a lot yeah i know absolutely um good action really good comedy too oh absolutely especially when they have to go get um is it face no, it's not face. Uh, Murdoch. Whether well, they could have to go get Murdoch from the insane asylum. Yeah. Uh, did you ask for a lightning bolt? He stitched a lightning bolt over his scar. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Just, everyone was cast uh, so perfect in that. Liam Neeson was great. Um, Shoto Copley was great. Of course, uh, Bradley Cooper was great. But I feel like we need to give more credit to um, Rampage Jackson. That's his, like, he first and, as far as I'm aware, his only movie, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, he was really good as B.A., yeah, he was a good time. Um, right, and then another I guilty did. pleasure. Um, I will say, this goes on record for me at least, and I've clocked it. It is 15 minutes. It's like the longest opening scene I've ever seen for a movie. But it's one of the best. The opening fight scene from Pacific Rim. Yes. That is such a First long all, intro, though. It is like 15 minutes to the point of when they start, when they finally show the Pacific Rim logo. I'm like, good grief was that the first third of the movie but it was um it was charlie hunnam and his brother fighting right yes first of all that movie in in general like antarctica or somewhere yeah the movie is in general uh, extremely underrated oh yeah and then uprising came and it was terrible yes 
I did think of a. I just it just popped in my head while you were, we were talking about a team about an opening that to a movie that is definitely a guilty pleasure that I know not a lot of people like. Oh. With speed, with Speed Racer. Yeah, you bring you bring up Speed Racer a lot. Okay, yes, but Speed Racer is a great time. <laughs> For you, a lot like like you said, not not necessarily the best reviewed, but then again, I'm going to say it, they didn't really have a great source material to work off of. No, oh, I'm with you, dude. I I I I've went back and watched some of the OG uh, cartoons, and they're not great. They're really not. But I I just enjoyed the racing. It was it was a lot of fun to me. Mm. So I got three more. How many more you got? Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. I have. Let's see. We just talked about that. Um, one, two. I got about four. Uh, one I can kind of glaze over just because it's iconic. Um, All right, what's that? But yeah. uh, 2001 Space Odyssey. Oh, yeah. That's just, that's a given. That's another one that yeah, the music a... tells everything. Well, and, and the, it's an opening scene that is parodied and redone. And literally, if you're in a room with a bunch of nerds, somebody you can start acting like a monkey. And then all of a sudden you have five guys all you know, acting like monkeys being, being amazed by a, a wooden object or something, you know, like, so it's, who all do you hang out with? Well, I hang out with you. Do you? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, what else you got? Um, so I got two, well, two that I will call bona fide classics. One is like classic, classic. One is a recent classic. And then one is the other Marvel movie. So I'll go with the other Marvel movie for now. Um, the very first Avengers movies. The very first yeah. Avengers movie and the S.H.I.E.L.D. headquarters. Yeah. Of explaining, this is the Tesseract. This is Loki, in case you didn't see Thor. Here's Ho- the Hawk, because we're not going to call him Hawkeye just yet. Uh, sets the groundwork really, really well, but also it tells the story from the, it starts the story from the human level, which I really appreciate of. Yeah. Uh, even if you haven't seen any of the Marvel movies before Avengers, I feel like the first Avengers movie does a good enough job of setting the table in that opening scene to get you invested pretty quickly and get you caught up to speed really quick of blue thing. Bad. Blue thing opens portal that lets bad guy in. Bad guy steals some good guys and destroys base. Now we gotta stop him. And that's our movie. Yeah, basically. Plus, it, it doesn't hurt that I've seen the first Avengers probably more than any other movie not named National Treasure. <laughs> Fair enough. Um I will I will bring the Matrix, the first one, only the first one, to to the table. With that opening scene with uh, Trinity. Oh, where she's being chased and she hides in a telephone booth? Yeah. Mm. Yes. I think that, again, much like Avengers, it kind of, it doesn't give you everything, but it gives you a good snapshot of what you're in for. Yeah, that's a pretty, that pretty, that sets the table pretty well. Um, I'm amazed we've gone this far without talking about it. It got turned into a ride that traumatized me when I was a kid. But we got to talk about Jaws. 
Um, the only reason I don't bring it up is because I haven't seen it all the way through. It's one of those much like Indiana Jones that I always seem to catch halfway through on TV. Yeah. I will say the second half is better, but the opening is iconic with the shark taking its first victim. Yeah. I mean, I've heard about it. Don't get me wrong. But yes, I did not do well with the Jaws ride growing up at Universal Studios. Yeah, I was convinced absolutely. that the shark was real. <laughs> I mean, it I mean, did not yeah. go well. Let's just say that. <laughs> and now Aww. the Wizarding World lies on what remains of Jaws, and I'm more than content with that. <laughs> until you go, until they have to find what's you know in the basement. Also, um, just a slight hint for next week. More than likely, Universal's going to announce their next park on Thursday, so we'll probably talk about that next week. Probably, yeah. Uh, what else you got before I go into my favorite opening scene ever? Which I think might be the same movie for us. I'm not sure. Probably. Probably. Um, but yeah, You got any before talk- we get there? Yes, I have one more. Let's talk about the... the Don't say how to train your dragon. Scene. No, no, no. This is a movie I don't think we talk about enough. Um, the opening scene that at, that gave us everything we needed and then dashed ev- every single emotion we ever had all in like five, 10 minutes. Batman v Superman. But, no. Up. See, mm, I'm going to be that I, guy. I don't think Up is as great as everyone thinks it is. I think really? it's fine. The opening has never done it for me, ever. Maybe really? I'm dead inside, but I've never had an I mean, emotional yes. reaction to Up. That's fair. That I, being I, said, I mean, Toy fine. Story 3, I will ball my eyes out, but Up has never done it for me. I don't know what it is, but I, everyone's just like, Up is so sad. I'm like, on paper, yeah, it is, but I just have never had an emotional reaction to it. I I think... For me, it was a strong way to open a film. Oh, yeah. I'll that, make no disagreements that it it's a great way to open the movie for sure. But in terms of being as sad as people make it out to be, I just have never had a, that type of reaction to it. But it does well, set t- the stage and explain Carl's backstory incredibly efficiently in such a yes, small amount of time. To me, that's what it needed to do. Um, if you're going to tell a movie about an old cr- a cranky old man... Um, you need to know what he's been through first. Yeah, Grant Torino. You... Exactly. But um, that to me, and I'm I'm with you, and it didn't make me, it didn't emotionally register with me to the level where I was bawling because I wasn't like attached to the characters yet. However, um, I think it tells a very real story and something that was very something people could connect to very quickly. Oh, absolutely. Um, now, you got any more before we go to our last one? No, I think that'll about do it, man. All right, well, let's just get it out of the way. Count of three. What is it? Three, two, one. The Dark Knight. The Dark Knight. Yeah. That bank robbery <laughs> scene, man. It's the best. It, the bank it, again, robbery it's scene. Just... Dark Knight sets the stage for arguably one of the greatest movie villains of all time. I, I would agree with that. Um, I think it sticks to our theme. You know what I mean? Like, of it sets the tone for the film. It it gets it gets us to know our villain right off the bat. 
and how sadistic he is. And, it, you know, it's just and it it's just a fun scene to watch. It's different than any other superhero movie before. And I've I've tried to make the argument to people that have not seen Dark Knight and it's not their cup of tea of Dark Knight is not a superhero movie at all. It is a crime movie. Just watch this opening scene, and it feels more like something out of Goodfellas than a Batman movie. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I agree with that. Criminals stealing from other criminals' banks. Yeah, exactly. And then only one criminal's left standing because he's the smartest one there. Who also got a little bit lucky. He's he's willing to go a little bit, just a little bit farther than what everybody else Oh, no, he's willing to go as far as he needs to. Yes. But I I like that it set up that this Joker, while crazy, is a planner, or in his words, a schemer. Yes. It sets the stage well. Um, It's one of those scenes that if you take it out of context, you wouldn't buy it as a Batman movie. It could fit into a lot of other movies, essentially. Yeah, exactly. It also started the weird trend. So this is another weird history lesson. It also started the weird trend of extended previews before movies. Um, this the opening bank shot, opening bank scene actually played in front of certain showings of I Am Legend in two thousand seven. Really, and they did the same thing um, with certain movies in before the Dark Knight Rises showed up which honorable mention of that, uh, when Bane hijacks the plane, they showed certain showings of that before certain movies. Hmm. Which I'm like, if you want to get people in the theater, yeah, you show them that bank robbery scene, and that'll get you some butts and seats, and Dark Knight sure did it as it made over a billion dollars. First comic book movie to get over a billion dollars. And, I mean, special shout-out to Dark Knight Rises with their opening scene. I, I, I have been very vocal about how much I do not enjoy Dark Knight Rises as a film, but that opening scene is iconic, and it, it, it gets the job done. And most of it was practical effects, too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Which I've is seen the footage. And it's, oh, gosh, it's nerve-wracking. Oh, absolutely. But, yeah, that'll about wrap it up for our best movie openings of all time. Uh, barring any big announcements that changes our discussion for next week, we'll follow up and kind of bookend this with best movie endings and best conclusions. So keep an eye out for that next week. Um, And as always, if you like what you hear and you want to hear more, subscribe to us on whatever audio platform you're listening to us on, whether that's YouTube, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify. And if you haven't already, subscribe to us on YouTube at Uncharted Media. And as always, stay sharp, movie guys and gals.